0: Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. Today we're talking with Meg Keen of A Practical Wedding. We talk feminism, we talk deserving stuff, and we talk how money flows in and out. Let's get started and get ready for a little life coach in your pocket.
1: Hi, I'm Jay Pryor, life coach, speaker, and author of Lean Inside, Seven Steps to Personal Power, A Practical Guide to Transformation. My definition of transformation is chipping away at everything that is not your highest, best self. In our podcast, Doing the Work with Jay and Becca, we take on personal transformation to have you show up powerfully in your life and business.
0: And I'm Becca Booth, marketing strategist focusing on strategy, sales, and social. And I'm the guinea pig. So I'm the one doing the work right along with Jay And I'm the fresh face to it. So I'm still new at all of this stuff and learning along the way. So I'm ready to learn along with you.
1: Listen to our podcast and we know our commitment to you is that we leave you inspired, lifted up, and no matter what, knowing that you're on the right path as long as you're willing to take progress, not perfection, to create your life exactly the way you want it.
0: All right. So here we go. So today we are here with Meg Keen of A Practical Wedding. Is that the full business title? It is, yeah. All right. Well, um, and she is uh, amazing, amazing, has books and a blog and just has sort of taken the world by storm and we are super excited to have you here today with us. Um, And so we sort of start us out telling us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about like where you are, what you do, and um, so that we can get to know you a little bit better.
2: Sure, um, so I live in Oakland, California these days, um, and I have a daughter and a son, both very small, um, and a husband, obviously, since I run a wedding business. Um, I started A Practical Wedding um, as really sort of a personal Wedding blog um, eight years ago now um, on my on my kitchen table um, I I started it with the idea of um, of every sort of intentional idea of wanting to see if I could turn it into a business which I think was sort of rare back in 2008 um, but I've been reading blogs since. Well, the very early years, year, since about 2002, every day. And um, I have my uh, BFA in <laughs> experimental theater. Uh, awesome. And my goal, uh, yes, uh, my goal was always to work for myself uh, in a creative profession. And I'd sort of followed as blogs became um, viable businesses. And it was the very early days of that. Um, and I wanted to see if I could play around and make it work. Um, And and here I am eight years later, um, I have a blog really turned sort of wedding resource website um, also covering um, marriage and relationship topics. um, And we also cover sort of uh, articles and topics pertinent to um, sort of the the demographic of our audience. all with a feminist bent, um, and we are now the fifth largest um, wedding site on the internet. Uh, we surpassed Martha Stewart Wedding, who's in size last year.
0: Nice.
2: Uh, yep, yeah, and we're getting for Bride's Magazine, which is which is one ahead of us right at nice. the moment. Um, so yeah. So I and I have two books, um, and this is <laughs> this is. My full-time job, them and I have a staff of, um, a full-time staff of about three and a staff of about five.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And it all sort of stemmed out of this desire to work for yourself. But then creating your own wedding?
2: No, well, no, well, it actually, it actually started because I had a very specific perspective on weddings that I just um, did not see reflected. Selected anywhere. Uh, basically, long story short, I thought everything that was sort of being sold about weddings and, and discussed about weddings was, was bullshit. <laughs> um, that was. I the, agree. The top of the last bubble, um, and everything was just like over the top, expensive, and you know, all of the conversations were. Um, I'd actually probably go so far to say is pretty anti-feminist, um, and. Uh, it was just, um, it was gross, um, and it also was was sort of based on this idea that everybody had, you know, fifty thousand dollars to spend on their wedding, which is obviously, you know, r- ridiculously laughable. Um, so I came into it with like a very specific set of ideas based on having loved weddings for a long time, actually, and paid attention since I was a little kid, um, having read a lot of miss Manners when I was a little kid about. Weddings, because I've always really loved weddings. Um, So I I came into it with a very hyper-specific point of view and something I wanted to say. Um, And nobody else was saying it. And um, that's how you make a business, is to bring something that the market needs
1: um, into the market where no one else is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Meg, one of the things that I'm inspired by you around is that you are somebody who, you know, there's – I don't – There's lots of people, I guess, who have taken a blog and turned it into a a big business like you have. But you're the first person I've ever met that has, first of all. Um, So I find that process fascinating. But one of the things that I'm clear about that, you know, obviously I do my work, and for the people who are listening, we do coaching together. Um, And uh, part of that is having just baby-stepping out a vision Mm -hmm. that you just – you just didn't quit I mean you just kept baby stepping it out and mm-hmm. having your eye on the ball and then you know here you are eight years later and you're not done right manifesting nope. your vision I don't think that's part of what we're working on um, and you're a long way down the road yeah and I think it really uh, speaks to what one can accomplish if they are just you know Um, steadfast in taking one foot and putting it in front of the other.
2: Yeah, and I also also always feel sort of compelled to say that I did not... I think often people make the assumption that I went into this with a lot of advantages and that's how it worked out for me Um, because it's not an uncommon story, right? Um, There are a lot of people that are like, I did it and so can you. And then you sort of backtrack and you're like, well...
0: Right?
1: Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you had a nanny and. Right. <laughs> and uh, Not right,
0: even and that. You
1: had. You, you already <laughs> sold a book. Yeah, you know? Right. Well, like, started
2: this business and then, like, the backstory is like, but they'd already sold a
1: business for a million dollars, which,
2: bless, right? Like, I'd love right. to sell a business for a million dollars. Right.
1: To do the next step. Yeah. If I had a million dollars, I could make another big business.
2: Yeah, exactly. Hell <laughs> oh, yeah. I, Me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way knocking that. But um, I started this. Um, I was. Um, you know, let's, let's be clear. I have a whole bunch of advantages, including I'm a white lady (laughs) that, you know, gives me certain advantages in the world. But, um, I come from the second poorest city in the United States after Detroit. Um, my family was in the middle in that city. Um, so, you know, I did not grow up impoverished, but I did not grow up with with a lot of money. Um, and I grew up, you know, going to schools in, in gang neighborhoods. Um, or there were drive-bys every night kind of thing. Um, and I had gone on to NYU on scholarship and, um, at the time I had just moved with my boyfriend at the time, now husband, um, to San Francisco, um, for him to go to law school. I, I can't remember if I had $2,000 in the bank or I had no $1,000 in the bank, (laughs) it was not a lot of money. Um, and I had just gotten a job, um, a really low-level job at an investment bank um, that I had gotten via my fancy connections because I tipped there. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, so and, and my husband was in law school, and so I was the only breadwinner in the family. And, and we very quickly, after I started the business, um, went into the, you know, Great Recession. So... Um, I was stuck in a job that I hated. I was working. I had to get to work at 6 a.m. Um, so I was up at 5 in the morning, worked uh, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. to support us. Um, and, then, and then decided to start a little hobby business. <laughs> <laughs> a
1: little something on the side.
2: Oh, I'll just start a little blog. and so, Yeah, and I posted five days a week. They each post went up at 3 in the morning. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. Um and yeah, and just sort of never, never looked back. Slash didn't sleep very much for <laughs> a while. <here>. Yeah, <laughs> Then I quit my job. Um, when my husband had graduated, but um, the recession was in full force, and he was um a criminal lawyer, and so he did not have a job. Um, so I quit my job and decided I would just support us both in <laughs> San Francisco. Wow. So, so that is not a like hard knock life story. I am I'm <laughs> doing just fine at the moment, but um, I do sort of like to frame that in ter- terms of like yeah, exactly. Not I didn't come into this with like people will say things to me like well who knows. Not everyone's family has money, but I'll, you know, there's money, and there's your parents being able to
1: give twenty thousand dollars to start your business. <laughs> like yeah,
2: face would just turn white, and I was like, "Come on, come on!" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> well,
1: I think that that is is powerful too, because that's part of your commitment to your to your business and to the people that you serve. Is you, and this is one of the things I also love about you is that you know you make weddings practical and you help people create a powerful experience for their wedding without their parent $20,000 right, you know right. I mean, that's I remember I was sharing with Becca before we got on the call with you when Jessica and I got engaged and she didn't she, we were talking about like we don't really know where to start and she said I'm going to go up the, we lived a block from a CVS and she said I'm going to go up the block and just get a magazine at Which, bum 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 <laughs> yeah right she, wore, she <laughs> went up the block and then she came back and she was like eyes glazed over you know that this horrified look on her she's like there's a million magazines and I don't know where to start and they're all a pound you think <laughs> right. I don't you know I don't and, and then every single one of them assumed that we had money and we didn't <laughs> we didn't have my dad was dead my mom was living on social security her parents didn't contribute to our wedding I mean you know it was like Her mom bought the dress, which is great, but that was it. And so we really had to try to figure that out on our own. um, And that was in 2002.
2: Yep. And Um, we really work and sort of have expanded the vision over the years to really want to be able to help people um, create a wedding, whether they have $500 or, you know, $500,000 and have it. It's sort of my goal to have it be this like no shame zone, which is actually a lot of work. Um, in both directions right like there's a lot of shaming over people that don't have a lot of money and there's like weirdly a lot of shaming over people that do have a lot of money this I totally time. get that
0: yeah yeah um, so trying to be wasted your money ma- like it's about the marriage not right. the wedding
2: exactly yeah. and in some cases you're like we we did a wedding and the um it's an african-american couple her her dad I think was the cfo of major league baseball and I was like Great. right like Let's not like let's not shame her dad, who clearly worked hard and worked his way up, and like has this money and wants to spend it on his kid's wedding. Like you know, like there are all kinds of situations. So sort of you figuring out what your situation is and what works for you, and and making that happen, and trying to create a community of people online that can that can like all talk about that together, even if they're in very different
1: situations. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then you said that you do it with a feminist bent, and so I want, i mean—would you sp- say more about that?
2: Yeah, so I mean, the entire business was founded as being like a feminist place to talk about weddings um, and a queer-friendly sort of environment, and that was—I've th- been—I—that I, has been a really fascinating ride, both of those, um, because we were a feminist publication before. It's so, so weird that this has happened, but sort of before feminism became this like buzzword that it is at the moment, which which is great. Um, but um, those of us, and there were you know there were lots of other feminist publications online in two thousand eight, including Feministing, for example. Um, but it was it was a little bit screaming into the wilderness, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in a way that it is not anymore, um, and. Uh, I've also sort of been through this as the whole marriage equality world has happened. Um, so the first time I posted about marriage equality was like the first month of the site and I literally like went to bed knowing the post was going up like afraid, not knowing like how bad it would be. Um, and it ended up being okay and then but it was like a really slow and not all this feels now like a million years ago but like it was a slow slog and I cont- consider it like very intentional activist work where I was like I have a like unique position where I can get at people's hearts and minds when they are thinking about this on their own and so it was literally like person by person, comment by comment, it felt like. Um, and there were so many people that were like, you know, APW really changed my mind about this. And then we, you know, and then it just started moving so rapidly. Um, so we have, we sort of like have, we've watched this whole thing go down in sort of the front row seats. And like, we sort of were able to, like we have all of these gay weddings that happened before it was legal and then weddings that happened after it was legal and there's sort of very different groups of people and very different kinds of weddings and the whole thing has been been really fascinating so um we've just been sort of on an interesting ride on on both of those fronts sort of being kind of right ahead of what ended up happening but not knowing we were right ahead of it um yeah so i don't think anybody
0: yeah we never, have, we imagined imagine
1: that anything. we
0: are where we are on, yeah right yeah. Um, so obviously... Well, I guess
1: that depends on your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been a long time coming for me. <laughs> oh, so, uh, hell yeah. I mean, but even you have but said to me. No, no, I do. We didn't ever imagine it was possible. Like,
0: it was yeah. really going to happen. It was like a, we're going to make it, we're going to fight for it, yeah. you know, but... yeah. Right. I mean, I've been,
2: I've been really sort of active in um, the gay rights movement since the early 90s, which is weird because I'm young, but my parents were very involved in the... Um, Garrett's movement in the church um, and you know I like wrote a lot of <laughs> opinion papers on it in social studies in like 7th grade and I like hyper concerned about it hometown. so I've been like really invested in this and but like in 92 93 I just didn't think it was going to happen in our lifetimes and right. here we are so anyway so now these days it's more you know um Trans rights and trans awareness and intersectional feminism. So, you know, there's always new frontiers Um, and one of my um, writers is really sort of invested in in, um, uh, Non-binary gender roles So so we have there's always places to go.
1: Yeah, well, I certainly appreciate your activism and uh, support as an ally You know, it's so powerful to have uh, um, straight people standing up for us. Especially (laughs) in this kind of space,
0: yeah, which would be, you know, stereotypically, you know, um, I got married before the Pinterest world hit. As they Yeah, and before blogging, wedding blogs, and all that stuff really was out there. I got a book at Borders, like an actual book, and um, it had, like, a list where, like, it was all the jobs the bride had to do and like you check like a checklist and then all the jobs the groom had to do and I remember being like so pissed because I had like 35 pages of my list and my husband-to-be had like six things and I was like "But so,
2: I also went through that particular I've just done this I think through a, just a like interesting period so I have two books they were written they were published four years apart um and the First book was, I think, I suspect, um, the first sort of m- mainstream, i.e., I- published by a major p- publisher, not like a vanity published book, um, mainstream wedding book that was gender neutral, um, and it was sort of a big deal in that God, yeah. I, I essentially lied to my editor about it, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't wait for the story. This is still an issue, right? You have to publish according to the style guide and style guides have not yet adjusted for gender neutral pronouns, right? That's happening right now like the New York times suggesting, but it still isn't in the major style guides, Um, which meant I had to go through with my copy editor um, because obviously we have for, you know, Hundreds of, hundreds of hundreds of years used they um in in sort of a casual way right like they said the vows or whatever um but you can't actually do that in a style guide which meant that endless sentences had to be reworked um <laughs> to like like put in names or like it was just like the number of sentences that had to be like "Er, er, er, how can we not use they and like make it gender neutral um so i never the entire book's gender neutral i never like said a peep about it being gender neutral i just turned it in and was like yeah um and i never got called on it and it was published and it was fine um nice But, um, this four years later or three years later when I was writing the book, I had a different editor, same publishing company. Um, and it was just a whole different conversation. I was like, well, you know, obviously the book's going to be gender neutral. And and she was like, um, duh. (laughs) uh, Because suddenly within three years, we'd moved to this space where now when you read things about weddings that are not gender-neutral, it feels very dated, or it feels mm-hmm. very much like they're making sort of a conservative
1: political statement, wow. uh, or they don't know what's up, right? Yeah, uh, yeah that's making my heart burst. That yeah, and four awesome.
2: year, and, but four years ago, like, the number, we have this, we used to have this stated policy that we wouldn't take advertisers unless they used, like, gender-neutral language, and we would have to go in with, like, a thousand advertisers and be like, We've looked at your website and let's talk to you about the words Biden groom And we'd be like, what? Right and that just doesn't it doesn't happen anymore. So eight years I know it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's been amazing. Just the fact that, like, even if you see sort of an error on someone's site now, you can be like, hey, it says bride and groom. And they're like, oh, right, sorry, I didn't think about that. As opposed to being like, right,
1: that's yeah.
0: the problem. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's that's great. so amazing. So I want to change gears here a little bit because um, if you'll indulge me, you know, one of the things that I know about you, just because I'm your coach, um, uh, you, you are somebody who clearly is driven.
2: <laughs> a little too driven. Maybe, <laughs> some,
1: maybe sometimes. <laughs> um, but that's part of, you know, the work that we've been, and, and I'd just like to, I guess, if you'd share with us, like what had you seek out working with me as your coach? And, and you know, that you had a moment at some point where it was like, okay, I'm successful, I've done all this stuff, and... This is what I want my life to look like, right? Yeah, have so,
2: this. It's so interesting because, because because a year ago I was shit talking life coaches, 100 <laughs> accurate, um, and you know I still try not to, but I was like I would never. Um, I used to be like life coach term for unlicensed therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and then so i gave birth a second time and um i don't know i was sitting around on maternity breastfeeding and listening to podcasts and um listened to a podcast with bert casilla on it and i was like oh this is it, it just the, the sort of the language she was using i was like this is really helpful Um, and I was like, yeah, maybe I should look for, you know, a business coach or something. And I started emailing around, um, and my friend Kathleen was like, oh my God, you need to use my friend Jay. And it all just sort of fell into place. Um, but I don't know, other than like sitting around breastfeeding, um, (laughs) I don't know. I remember her talking about like, sort of like abundance and being able to like, imagine, imagine trying to accept sort of like what if what you were receiving sort of incoming in terms of not money, but like in terms of attention or, you know, a claim or whatever, um was like 10 times the level it it currently was like could you handle that and like how do you increase your tolerance for that and i think that was the moment where i was like oh i need to talk to somebody um because you know it's been it's been an interesting ride it's been a tough road i didn't necessarily intentionally set out to make myself a public figure sort of i mean you know i majored in acting so it's not like this was never on my on my horizon <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't like I set out to intentionally create a business. I didn't necessarily intentionally set out to make myself a public figure. Um, and along the way that happened and I got really burned and then I sort of pulled back and um, I was at a point where I was mostly, the business was growing, the business was growing fast and um, both I and um, my sort of number two in my right hand we at a position where we were feeling like we don't quite know what's next. And, um, she was really afraid that I was going to get burned out. Um, so I was just sort of at a crossroads and I didn't have an answer. Um, and I felt sort of stuck emotionally in my personal life as well. Um, so I just decided to make a commitment to like making something happen. And I think
1: that's where it started yeah right and then you know one of the first things we talked about which is an ongoing conversation with you and with all of my high-powered clients what i would call you people who are high performers high results producers is the whole world of you know that grinding it out that energy you know uh versus the uh versus allowing
2: yes Can,
1: can you speak to that in your own experience Oh,
2: i just struggle with that every day and um I this is not I don't know if this is true of all high performing people, but this is true of a lot of people in my life. Um a lot of people in my life came from that are sort of high performers. Um and this is I hire people that I think have similar backgrounds to me in that sense, especially because we're often the people that don't get hired. Um so I wanna sort of make space for other folks like me. Um but I don't come from the easiest background, right? Like I didn't grow up with a ton of money. Um, my home life when I was a kid was not always the easiest. And, um, I grew up in a really impoverished city that I was trying desperately to get out of. Um, and so I just very early on my sort of coping mechanism became just working as hard as seemingly possible. Um, and you know, thank God, because I don't think I would have frankly gotten out without that, right? So in high school, I got my international baccalaureate diploma, which is incredibly difficult to get. I still think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, And it meant that like, I studied four hours a night, and I studied 12 hours on the weekend, and I had panic attacks, and I didn't sleep, and I was writing, you know, papers that were going to Geneva to get graded, and like the whole nine, but I knew that like, as a kid from a very poor um, public high school, um, I had to do something really superlative um, to get into a good college. And I knew that getting into a good college was my ticket out. And I also knew that I had to get a good scholarship. Um, So, and everyone around me was sort of in the same place. And everybody that got out of that city and is doing well um did the same thing in high school we all just like worked so incredibly hard um to get our scholarships and you know and get our ticket out um and i just i think i never never let go of that and also you know i started a business when i was working you know yeah 60 yeah. hours a week supporting my family so um i just was in a place for a long time where that was like the only option. um and I have found it very, very hard to switch gears.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that we've talked about and that is is an ongoing conversation is that there really isn't such a thing as work-life balance. It's constantly re-evalu- reevaluating what you want your life to look like. Right. And then trying to put that into place. And sometimes it's those stories that it has to be hard or mm-hmm. that, you know, that it, it, it's not, you know, especially if we come from... Um, poverty or we come from having to work hard and, and being trained that we have to work hard that it, it, it feels counterintuitive for us to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first yes. to take care of ourselves and that's something that um, you and I've been working on and that I'm always working on with my clients um, is you know what happens when you do put the oxygen mask on yourself and you do take care of yourself then things do still get done. Things do yeah. still get taken then, care of, right? Because you're going to take care of everybody else.
2: Right. And I have a narrative, and I think a lot of people have this narrative, so it's probably worth talking about. I have a narrative about deserving right? You know, I had to work really hard to get out. And so I just have this narrative around, like, I have to work hard to deserve it. Um, and I think that I sort of observed that... Um, people that came from, you know, my, my family wasn't in poverty, but I grew up around poverty and my family didn't have a lot of money, right? Like I certainly did not grow up. I am, I'm still sort of not very comfortable in upper middle class environments. Um, and so the people around me that grew up in like very comfortable upper middle class environments, funnily enough, my husband and I grew up in the same city, but his family had a lot more money. So (laughs) he would be one of those people. Um, you know, we, this is a whole other story that possibly we want to get into, but largely because of my work with Jay, we, um, just bought a house. Um, congratulations. Thank you. It's a huge deal. Um, but, and we're way out in East Oakland, right? So I'm looking out my window, window at a beautiful neighborhood. And I can also tell you that three blocks down the street, um, there is some really serious poverty. Um, but because of that, we were able to get a pretty big house. Um, but I sort of walk around in the house. It's only been two weeks. And I walk around in the house feeling like uncomfortable. Like I don't, I'm not used to this. I'm not sure I deserve this. Like all, all, all of that narrative, which I can guarantee you my, my husband too. Like I out or my husband, but my husband doesn't have any issues feeling like he deserves this house. Right? right. He grew up in a nice house. So he's like, nice house. Great. This is what we, this is what we're supposed to have. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so for me, I have a lot of like, well, I have to prove that I deserve this by working really, really hard. Um, and Jake could probably break down the word deserve for you or for me, but like, I, the word "deserve" is so like it's such an empty vessel anyway. Because like I, I think I would personally argue. I don't know if Jay would disagree that like, I mean, do I deserve this? I don't know. I don't know if anybody deserves this. I don't necess- I don't think I deserve it any more than like a person, you know, a child living three blocks down in like a rundown motel because their parents don't have any money, right? Like what is deserving <laughs> but um but this is where I am um and so I think some of my work with Jay has been about like how do I how do I do the best I can with what I have and and how do I sort of change the narrative in my head
1: yeah and we you know in our work we do a lot of changing the narrative in our head by baby stepping out a new narrative and you know, I, d- I want to highlight your house because that was one of your first goal- first conversations we had mm-hmm. was, I want to buy a house, and I don't think it's possible, yep. Yep. <laughs> and, and and it's only been six months and now you have a house, so I mean, <laughs> well, you're a pretty yeah. powerful manifester, you were yeah. you able to break through that very powerfully, and not just buy a house, but buy a beautiful house that you actually love, and it's perfect for your family, and Yep. you know it all, all the things all the all things, things that we wanted Yep. Um, but it's interesting about the deserving because I heard um, you know I'm a big fan of Abraham's I, I talked to you about that a lot and um, I listened to Esther Hicks/ Abraham and something that she said the other day that I've never heard this put this way before but I thought was interesting I'd love to hear your both of your thoughts on it is the whole world of that idea that uh, there's not enough to go around yes right and it's like what if if you were to extrapolate that out to um, wellness and well-being it would be like oh so i'll go be sick for a month because i've used up way too much of my of my well- <laughs> of my well-being right you know and it's like it's such a silly concept when you put it like that because of course there's enough well-being for all people mm-hmm. you know for everyone mm-hmm. and yeah. it's the same with, with you know, if we can extrapolate that out to money obviously there is if we were You know, there is a paradigm shift that we could have that says there's plenty and enough for everybody. Um, But I get, and I hear what you're saying, is that those stories we have from our youth and from our lives are so embedded in us that they'll literally stop us Mm -hmm. and have us see that things aren't even possible, that, you know, that things seem impossible for us sometimes. Right. And I spend a lot of
2: time sort of thinking about making better choices if that makes sense that like I'm now in a position where I employ people right and that's great and so I spend a lot of effort and energy and anyone on my staff would tell you this um trying to make sure that everyone I work with is paid fairly and you know feels respected and that sort of thing um in the same with and Jay and I have Worked on this and talked about this recently, right? Where I'm just like at capacity, I have more things to manage than I possibly can, but I still don't want to give up like cleaning my house. And I think it's largely because I'm like, well, I don't want to oppress somebody by making them clean my house. Um, And Jay's like, well, you're giving people jobs in a way that like I have done a lot of these jobs, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have. I have pumped gas at gas stations. Like I have filed medical records by numbers and number in the basement. Like I have, yeah, I've
1: cleaned houses. <laughs>
2: yeah, I've supported my, I've not cleaned houses. I've supported myself on minimum wage, like doing a lot of things. Um, and so actually I'm curious with Jay's perspective, having cleaned houses, but having done a lot of shitty jobs, um, I'm like, if I can hire someone and I can treat them with respect and I can pay them what I actually think they should be paid as opposed to, you know, when we hired a cleaning service, I was like, I don't feel comfortable with this because I just don't, I think these people are being paid minimum wage. And so I would handle it by like tipping them out a lot in cash. Um, but that that's just like such a constant balance in my head, right? Of like, why are the caregivers that take care of our kids that are doing such important work? Like, why have we set up a society where they are paid so little that they're, you know, living in poverty and like how, right? Like, I, and and to be fair, I don't set the wage for our caregivers, right? We take them to a school where we actually pay a lot of money, but but no, it doesn't,
0: right? Like it doesn't, doesn't trickle down to the right people. Exactly. and so yeah.
2: we we do a lot with like our caregivers, where you know we have them babysit suppress and we frankly overpay them, and you know like but sort of trying to train them if money is energy, how do you move it around in a way that is, um, like healing and healthy for your community as opposed to, um, I have seen a lot of money moved around in ways that I would not consider healing. And I think they are about scarcity, right? Like there's not enough money to go around. I have a lot of money, hence I must hold on to it like as tightly as I possibly can. And then nobody's benefiting from that, including you. Cause you're like, I'm just holding it real tight. <laughs>
1: We
0: were just actually having this conversation, and it's funny about um, a housekeeper because I am actually thinking about doing the same thing and, you know, finally hiring somebody to help out because it's one of those things where it's, you know, your space is so important, and I've got so much of my space filled with bleh because I'm not, that's like the last thing that I want to do after an exciting, busy day of whatever. Um, And, but there's this like, this feeling of um keeping your fists closed around your money that's also means that like more money can't come in because you right. can't you can't unless your unless your you know your hands are open to receive um then you can't there's not you know nobody can give you back anything so it's that level of like you know, balancing, okay, am I making enough money versus should I pay for that or this, or this fear level of spending money on something that's not going to have the right level of value to me, or, and and really having fear around money, and then just being, you know, able to sort of open your hand and let, let, like, let the money flow both directions.
2: Right, and in in a very literal way, right, in a very literal way, If if you are working yourself to exhaustion, mopping your floors because you don't want to pay somebody like a good hourly wage to do that, then that's like energy you can't put into bringing in money, right? So like you're actually stopping the flow of money because you're refusing to flow it out to somebody who, you know, needs a job and paying them a good rate and, and hence, refusing to have that money flow in, right? So it's like you're kind of blocking the whole flow. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, back to my standard principle of um, that I am, I mean, just, I'm such a believer in it, I'll never be convinced it's not true, that if you spend your energy doing stuff you don't want to do, it sucks your the life out of you. <laughs> and then you're not good for anybody. Right. And... There are people who actually like to clean houses.
2: Jay and I recently had a conversation about um, this this sort of online meme about um, you have as many hours in the day as Beyonce and um, people taking offense to that, right? (laughs) Because people are like, yeah, but she has a cook. Um, And I have always found that, that response sort of frustrating. I mean, there's a lot of like sort of political levels to that for me also where you're like, this is a powerful black woman, right? Like, she she worked her way up against, like, every possible... surmountable
0: odds, yeah. yeah.
2: Right? Like, this is not... We're not talking about, like, a wealthy white woman who, like, has always been in power, right? Like, it's not like she got where she was because, like, her family has always had a cook, right? Um, but sort of this... I find that narrative frustrating because... Well, A, because Beyoncé works, like harder than anyone I can possibly imagine. Uh, I, I was just pondering last night. So she and Jay-Z combined are worth a billion dollars, which is like, I, what is that number? She's <laughs> like, just like a made up number. Um, and yet the woman goes on world tour like on the regs, right? Like We are going to see her on Monday. And like the amount, I was actually reading an article about what her work, she's my age, right? So. Which is nice for me. It's inspiring because I think by the time you become like 35 and a woman, people are like, pack it up and go
0: home. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're officially old. You can no longer play the ingenue. Right.
2: And Beyonce is like, I'm going to have to nope on that. Mm -hmm. But I was reading about just like her workout to go on tour. Like, oh, my God. She has a billion dollars. The woman could sit down, right? (laughs) 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 Um, But yet, she is not sitting down. Um, so it's like, oh, first of all, like she works so hard. Can we please let her have a cook without like, yeah. yeah. her shit? Um, and second of all, I was saying to Jay and Jay was then trying to get me to apply this to me and I was like, oh, that's harder. But I was like, I don't want Beyonce to spend her time washing dishes and not writing lemonade. Like
0: what?
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, yeah. But the amazing, the sort of powerful thing for me about. Beyonce and that whole narrative is that she um, works very, very hard to hire black women, right? For are some of the most unemployed women in, in the United States. Um, one of my, um, one of our, our writers is a black woman with a degree and a master's degree. And, you know, she's just like the sharpest knife in the drawer that you could possibly imagine. Apparently the statistical odds of a white man with a criminal record getting hired are higher than the odds of her getting hired. Jesus. Right? Like, oh my God. So anyway, so Beyonce employs black women. That is what she does. Um, you know, from the bottom to the top, like that is who she employs. And like, that's powerful. And you know what? I have a feeling Beyonce is not underpaying her cook and she's not underpaying her housekeeper. Um, so like, you gotta make sense for that somehow and I'm still working out all the pieces in my head but um I don't have the answers at all but like I don't want I don't I don't want Beyonce not writing lemonade because she had to do the dishes so hell yeah
0: well and then that kind of also speaks a little bit to you know what you were saying originally about that you know you didn't set out to be a public figure um and so you know with like the Beyonce narrative You know, yes, she is. You know, put herself out there as a singer and and, in a performer, but you know, the life that we have anticipation for her to be to be placed on a pedestal to be judged for having a cook or whatever it is, the right shoe or whatever it might be. You know, we when the public what we do to our public figures is. I, I mean, they deserve to have. All the cooks for what you know they have to go through just to just to exist and like yeah, yeah I got a billion dollars I'm gonna shut the fuckers down like I'm gonna sit down and like go away and you don't get to see me anymore because you all are so nasty like you're oh so God. mean you know <laughs> like now, why Put no, yourself she's out writing there
2: albums about infidelity and touring the world with them
0: <laughs> exactly and it's like okay well you know. Bam. You've got, like, go for it, lady. Yeah. So tell me a little, you know, I know that being a public figure for yourself, you've had to deal with some of the the naysayers, the meanies that are out there. Yes. I still really struggle with this. In fact, Jay has
2: talked to me a lot about sort of, like, putting myself forward more. Um, and I think frankly, it would probably be good for the business and good for the brand. Um, and I just really struggle with it because I have, oh, I have something of a limited capacity for sort of how much I can take incoming in the, in the hate department. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's an interesting question because like, I don't know how much I want to expand that capacity, right? Like, oh, but, um. You know, all powerful women. Just the amount of stuff that gets thrown at them, right? Like not just Beyonce. I was recently talking this about this with a friend about Hillary Clinton um, and those of us. And it's an interesting divide because I'm 35, um, and I have a lot of you know friends and coworkers who are in their right. late 20s, and those of us who are in our 30s um, have seems to have like a very different sort of perspective on Hillary Clinton than women in their 20s because we remember what happened to her in the 90s and we also remember sort of where it started and like what it what the environment was like when she made that like probably poorly worded but still fairly revolutionary and I remember remember that sort of a life-changing feminist moment where in that very early interview where she was like I'm nobody's little woman and I'm not just going to sit in the kitchen and bake cookies quietly yes. and like every housewife in America was like ah! Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like really revolutionary i was 12 probably at the time um and like nobody no women in america were saying that right and like every first lady in the history of time had sort of been expected to sit quietly in the kitchen and bake cookies right and
0: look pretty. Um, mm-hmm.
2: so and then just watching like the just the I, I, like, don't even have words for the volume of shit that has been thrown at that woman, right? Like, she was basically first through a plate glass window and continues to be first through the plate glass window, um, and it's just amazing to me, like, politics aside, it's just amazing to me that, like, she keeps going, right? That she didn't just, like, be like, I'm just going to curl up in this hole, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not again, thanks. Um, so just like how do you and like we can't move forward without women that are willing to to do that to like just take all the shit in the world and keep going um, but like how do you um, uh, allow yourself to do that it's really tough it's really tough
0: you know and you think about it from the perspective of mm-hmm. you know just the difficulty of doing it in your everyday world in the in the way that we treat each other as women yep you know and we do it on like a day-to-day basis yep in the you know and then when you amplify that by becoming a public figure and then suddenly everyone's behind their computer screen and they feel like they get to have an opinion Mm -hmm. um and that opinion is not only like sure great have an opinion but i'm some of the things that are said and the way that they're said and the way that they're done is like, you know, we've forgotten about the humanity of the, of the person that we're talking to. We we Uh, certainly
2: do not treat any public figure, I think, in this country with any level of humanity. Like we don't treat them like, oh, they're a human being or like "Mm, people make mistakes, right? Yes. Right? Like,
1: hell yes.
2: mistakes beyonce's made mistakes i make mistakes right like we all make mistakes, human beings make mistakes. Yeah. learning and growing and evolving human beings who who totally screw up and then like and and it will say that the good part about having sort of the awful greek chorus online that is a hate forum is like 95 i actually do, i have a hate forum and i don't read it i have never even been there um, and people are like, what amazing restraint. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I like, am very thin skinned about that and don't like, I just know I don't have the capacity, so I'm not gonna engage. Right. Like I just, no, 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 It takes no restraint to not go there because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't want to know what's going on there. Um, but again, like I, one assumes Beyonce is not reading her hate forms either, right? Girlfriend's busy. You got to like put your energies where they're useful. But anyway, like 95% of stuff said and say my hate form is just like mean girl garbage. But there's like 5% that I think is legit and they're like valid issues or valid, you know, critiques or valid uh, mistakes that I've made. Um, And, you know, I need to like learn
0: and grow and keep getting better and like, yeah,
2: yeah. There are plenty of things you can say about me that uh, are, like,
0: are, you know, constructive criticism,
2: okay. or just like even if they're not presented in a constructive way, are true. Um, but yeah, just it's tough to figure out how to how to put yourself forward and also put yourself forward knowing that you're like a eh, totally imperfect individual, right? Because it's like once you present yourself as like an expert on something it feels like you're being like, I'm perfect. I know all about the thing.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. and
2: like, I have a friend who just wrote this amazing book that's coming out um, about happiness. Um, and I was chatting to her um, and her wanting me to write a book about marriage, which you know I've been basically studying informally for eight years. Um, and I was like, but I'm not an expert on marriage. I don't know how to stay married. And she was like, nobody's an expert on marriage and nobody knows how to stay, stay married. And that's why it's an interesting topic. And then she goes, do you think I'm an expert on happiness? (laughs) And I was like, all right. And she was like, no, I just researched it a lot. Um, So it is that question of like, how do you, how do you like put yourself forward um, in a way that we want women to put themselves forward in in leadership positions while knowing that you're like a very flawed, very imperfect person who's an expert on nothing.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that fear level of like somebody's gonna find you out, right? <laughs> You're like,
1: oh.
2: Like, let me just break the break it to you right now. I'm an expert on nothing. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> but I know a lot about. I do know a lot about, <laughs> about weddings and marriage, though. So I'll tell you that. Heck yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that leads us back to sort of the doing the work part of it. Is like, um, you know, you have been doing all of these big things. You've got books and blogs and and speaking and you're doing all these amazing things and and you're out there and you've got an amazing family and you've got a you know a good marriage and you've got all these things that are really positive like why would you need help like what would make you like why do you need a life coach like don't you have it all figured (laughs) out (laughs) no (laughs) idea
2: no um i I think the most important thing to me about sort of doing the work and, and working with Jay is is sort of how much how much work it really is because um, there's this idea that, like, you work with a life coach and you just, like, manifest something by thinking really hard about the fact that you want a house.
0: <laughs>
2: i nice? yeah. like, how did I get a house? I, like, worked very hard with Jay about, like, on frankly, like, my neural pathways and, like all this cognitive behavioral stuff around like, I mean, Jay wouldn't call it that, but I would call it that around like the anatomy of a belief. And like, how did I like set up these neural pathways in my brain? And like, what can we do instead? And then I was like, Fuck, I have to go to therapy. That's really unfortunate. (laughs) I went to therapy and it was, in fact, unfortunate as as previously advertised. And I did a lot of hard work there. And, you know, so it's just like, God, it is such a slog and it never stops being a slog, I think, in terms of like, oh, you just are continually trying to like facing up to like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this, this really unhelpful thing in my brain. Um, But, you know, I have done a lot of stuff. Um, I have not always been the happiest while I'm doing it. And, you know, I want to work on that. But also, there's a lot more that I want to do. And I have to figure out how to sort of be brave enough to do it or to set aside the idea that I don't know how to do it, which is what I'm, you know, I constantly am like, well, I want to do that, but I don't know how. That must be for other people who know how. Um, and sort of, like, expanding my capacity in ways that means, like, I do have to take a nap sometimes, or I do have to, like, hire people and pay them a good wage and, and then, like, let them do their jobs, which is, like, as I've grown my staff, that's been a real, a real sort of issue as being like, oh, right, like, I hired them to do this, and they're making, like, a really good salary, like, I need to let them do it as opposed to being like, well, let me just help you with it. So I feel like I deserve for you to do this. Like all of those ways, you know, it's funny because it's sort of full circle, right? Like I heard Brooke Casillo talking about this idea for capacity. And I think that is sort of what I'm trying to continuously expand is like, I have more things that I want to do than I have like time or energy in the in the day to do them right. Like a friend just pitched it to me, a book I should write, and I was like, yeah, I really want to write that book, but also I really want to launch a lifestyle vertical, and also like I really want to grow the company I have, and then like maybe sell it. <laughs> I really want to hire ten more people, and I like like my list of things I want to do in this world uh, is huge. Not to mention like I really want to be a good parent, and I have two small children and I don't sleep through the night. So figuring out how to sort of like expand that capacity and a lot of that is like doing the hard work on myself um, of like facing up to, um, (laughs) Jay would probably have a more positive word for it than flaws, but like facing up to my flaws and trying to get better. Um, I just don't think that I can continue to sort of grow in capacity and, like, keep evolving without without doing that. And I would just get stuck, frankly. And it would be like, I did all this stuff and now I'm stuck. And I've seen that happen over and over and over and over again where people build sort of really powerful things and then get stuck and don't know what to do next and, like, often, like, let the thing wither on the vine. And then, actually, I've seen this more and more recently, then don't seem to know how to walk away from it, right? Where you're like you're like you're like you're holding vigil over this like dead thing you did it then you couldn't let it go and like it died and instead of just being like okay i did that and it's done now and i'm gonna go do something else they're unable to sort of like free themselves to do that yeah um so yeah totally
1: get that well i would i would you know you said I'd have a nicer way to say it. But really, what I'm what I'm hearing you talk about is, first of all, is being accountable to being integrity, you know, you keeping yourself integrity to live your values. Yeah. And that, you know, we talk about that a lot. And that's where we always, in coaching, we start out with what do you value and are you living your values? And, you know, as you continue to expand, we also, you know, just like you said, you have only so much capacity, but we're also or expanding with the universe as human beings we consistently expand. And that expansion is not always comfortable.
2: <laughs> and, you know,
1: no. you've been willing, you're willing to stay in the game. And that's, what's fun for me as a coach is to coach somebody as powerful as you who's willing to stay in the game and continue to grow and then be reevaluating the whole time of like, what sh- what's an in integrity for you to do? And what's an in integrity for you to give, some- give to somebody else to do?
2: Yeah. And I think it is all about like the willingness to stay with, it being uncomfortable yes like you can't keep growing if you're not willing to stay with it being uncomfortable like you just it's
0: not growing pains yeah it's that great line Amy Poehler. i think the great
2: it's a great line about like you have to do things before you think that you're ready to do them it's like just how it has to go down right and so you always have to be living like if you want to keep growing you just always have to be living outside of your comfort zone which is exhausting, so you also need to prioritize naps.
1: Yes, <laughs> right. lots yes. of naps. <laughs> lots of naps. But also, I mean, don't you think, too, that there's a, there's a mind shift that, I mean, I know you've had glimmers of. You might not be there a lot, but um, at giving up, if you can give up that, it's, that you shouldn't be being uncomfortable, it's like give up making it wrong that you're uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Right? I just had a client yesterday come to me and tell me she was engaged in you know she's she's engaged in doing energy work for the first time and and really getting into her body in it in, in a very powerful way and um, dealing with her past and doing the work she's doing the work um, but she's telling me that she's having some cognitive dissonance, like just really like her checking like her brain is checked out sometimes and it's it's an impact of starting to do this work and. And I, the first words out of my mouth, always, to a lot, all of my clients, I had people tell me it should be on my, I should have an app that just says this, and I said to her, can you give up making that wrong?
2: Yeah. Can you give up making it
1: wrong that that's happening? Because what I know is, just like when you work out in a gym and you have sore muscles, Right. like, these are your sore muscles. It's that cognitive dissonance is your sore muscles. Right. You know, you doing something new for the first time, it's uncomfortable.
0: Well, you know, we are actually, oh my gosh, right at an hour, which just blows my mind. I feel like we could talk forever. There's so much that you have going on and so much to learn from you, so we're going to have to swing back around you at some point for sure. But um, we want to make sure that people also know where to find you so that now that they've been inspired by all of you, because I think that the thing that's also important to remember about a practical wedding is that it isn't just for people who, I mean, there's, yes, there's so much about weddings, but there's a lot there that is va- of value just to, to all of us that are sort of looking for tips and tricks for different things or relevant information. If you like feminism,
2: um, <laughs> if you're into intersectional feminism, then I guarantee we have an article for you at least once a week. Yeah, we nice, write a lot of perfect. things like um, So you can find me at um, apracticalwedding.com. Um, we're on Instagram at wedding. Um, and we're also on Facebook, I think, at a practical wedding. Um, and the, you can find me personally um, at megkeen.com. That's pretty much just my portfolio site. Um, and on Instagram, you can see me not sharing photos of my children's faces at Meg Keen.
0: <laughs> Which I love. And I think the next time that we're on, we definitely need to have a conversation around some of that stuff that you've done as a you know, public figure to protect yourself. Um, and protect your kiddos and and the private life that you have, I think that that's so incredibly important
2: yeah they need their they need their space to figure out who they are without me informing the internet of who I think they are.
0: Yes, yeah. I love that I love that, and that's definitely been something that has inspired me kind of reevaluating the way that I've put my kids my own kids out there, you know um, sharing or oversharing their story, um, giving them a chance to, to figure it out on their own. Yeah. So, okay, so the last thing that we like to do is sort of, um, I ask a, a question. Um, if you could think of one thing that our listeners could be doing to sort of keep them in the work, or something that is that you do on the daily to sort of keep you focused in the work, okay, just kidding. I
2: totally forget to do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I have an alarm that goes off um, and I still forget. So two things that I'm
2: working on right now. One is is Jay's sort of thing about making yourself wrong, um, where I realize that literally sort of every emotion I have, I'm like, mm, I should probably have another one. <laughs> right? Like, mm, I probably shouldn't feel so gleeful about this. I'm like, mm, I probably shouldn't feel so angry about this. Um, so I started really practicing just being like, you know what, I'm so goddamn irritated at my husband right now. Um, and being like really just leaning into it, um, which feels very decadent, which, which that part feels sad to me that it's like decadent to <laughs> feel my own feelings. Um, but I also have found that it, um, evens out my emotions a lot. Um, cause when you're trying not to be, um, frustrated, it, you just end up like your frustration, like. Simmers and then spikes as opposed to just sort of
1: Because what expanding. you read. Um
2: and then the other thing that I'm working about working on um, my friend Ruth Whitman has a book coming out, America The Anxious, about why the pursuit of happiness is making us anxious and it's fabulous. Um it won't be out till October. Um, but she did a bunch of research around um, sort of how Americans search for happiness and how we have this idea that happiness is is internal, right? That only you can make yourself happy or like you should go meditate alone or do yoga alone or blah, 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 blah alone. And that will make you happy. Um, and that the actual science around it, which makes perfect sense to me, is that we're actually happiest in community. So we're doing all of these things to make ourselves happy that aren't necessarily the The things that actually make us happy and they're literally making us so busy that we can't do the most important thing we can do as humans, which is like be in community with people because we're like too busy because we have to go to yoga. Um, So I have also been working really hard on sort of building community and like spending time with friends and spending time with family and spending time with, you know, actual human beings that are not on a screen. Um, And... I think there's a whole level of work around that because I think it's easier to tell ourselves like, oh, I shouldn't go meditate or do yoga to make myself happy because it, it, it releases us from being all of the insecurities around other humans, right, of being like, but did they really like me, um, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so those are the two things that I'm working on right now, being in community and not making myself wrong.
0: I love it. I love it.
1: Perfect. Yeah. Nice. And then, lastly, Meg, um, I want to take an opportunity to acknowledge you and appreciate you. Um, I just uh, well, A, I adore working with you. I'm blessed to get to work with powerful women like you, who are up to big things and constantly willing to stay in the work, and even if it makes you uncomfortable, to um, keep live in your values so that inspires me but really you know who you are for the world in terms of being an, an activist for women and for the LGBT community um, before, way before I ever knew you i want to acknowledge and appreciate you for that and mostly there's this you know there's this tipping point that's coming that's uh, of women powerful women and women-owned businesses and voices in the world of Uh, feminist voices in the world that are inspiring young women to have a different experience of life and you my friend are a powerful leader in that movement and it inspires me to no end so I wanted to acknowledge and appreciate you for being that leader and that's making literally our culture a different place to be for women so thank you for that and thank Thank you you. that was
2: beautiful and mortifying for all sorts of feminist reasons that we should that that I will now leave you to explore why women cannot take a compliment.
0: Yes, I know. And then we're like, and how do you respond? <laughs> thank well, you no, know, not really. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's what we're supposed to say. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you That's so much for being great. on, and it was great to, to get to know you a little bit better. And we will definitely have to swing back around to hear even more because I feel like there's so much more that we could be talking about today, but. Um, thank you so much for your time and this was with Meg Keen and we are so excited uh, to share you guys, share Meg Keen with you guys. So um, we will see you next time. Thank and you. thanks again, Meg. Thanks, Meg. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. We hope that you got a little slice of practical transformation that you can use in your personal and business life.
1: And here's what we want to leave you with. Whether you are just starting on this journey of practical transformation and just starting with baby step affirmations just to focus you in a direction of loving yourself or whether you...
0: All right, well, thank you so much for joining us on Doing the Work with Jay and Becca. We hope that you got a little slice of practical transformation that you can use in your personal and business life.
1: And here's what we wanna leave you with. Whether you are just starting on this journey of practical transformation and just starting with baby step affirmations just to focus you in a direction of loving yourself, or whether you've been doing this work for a long time and you can literally say, I am thrilled with the path my life is on, wherever you are, whatever you're dealing with right now, you're right where you're supposed to be. The thing that's in front of you is the thing that's going to have you at your most powerful once you accomplish it. And what I know and what we know is if you're willing to take baby steps with progress, not perfection, and just staying on that horse, you're going to get there. And we're going to get there with you. So thanks for being with us.
0: Now, don't forget to go and subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Let us know what you think. And reach us at info at doing, uh, sorry, info at j and, and that will let us know if you have any topics you want us to cover or anybody you want us to interview. Maybe you.
1: You can reach us on our Facebook page too, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, totally. So um, that's just facebook.com slash becca. All right. We'll see you around next time.